0: Startup Stories DSM features conversations with entrepreneurs in Greater Des Moines, Iowa, who share their stories of what worked and what failed on their entrepreneurial journey. This podcast is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell, Executive Director of Entrepreneurial Initiatives at The Partnership. Todd Jason Cope, welcome to Startup Stories. You created your company with the goal of changing how crops are pollinated. For those of us who don't know, please describe how pollination in, for example, seed corn works today.
1: Sure. So in particular, I guess I'd focus on cross-pollination okay. versus just pollination in general. Because cross-pollination is always what you want in, in ag crops because it leads to higher productivity. And the way cross-pollination works today is is, for the most part, a reliance on the elements. You plant things in proximity and you hope they cross-pollinate. Okay. And we're introducing a a new way to enable the right cross-pollination to occur rather than just rely on the wind and, in some crops, bees or, you know, all kinds of different ways different plants do it. Sure. So, we're we're taking away some of the risk.
0: Okay. And this is where... uh, People walking corn rows and pulling tassels off all comes from. Is that part of that old day of doing it?
1: Exactly. The, okay. So you plant them in proximity, the ones you want to cross. And since all corn plants have both male and female, okay. the one you want to be female, you have to remove the male. Okay, And that's called detasseling.
0: That's where we all got to work. That's, that's right. That's and that takes
1: uh, a horde of kids or potentially migrant labor to come in and do that. Which
0: is getting harder to find either young people want to do it or migrant labor for many reasons but uh. exactly so you both worked had careers in the industry before you formed this company uh did you know each other before you formed a uh, power pollen
2: yeah we actually did uh todd and i if you look back in our careers we uh Started at uh, Asgro, or I started at Asgrow. Todd had some career experience before that. But um, shortly afterwards, we were purchased by Monsanto. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Todd and I uh, worked on uh, creating a laboratory facility for Monsanto. I did a lot of the automation. Um, Todd, the genetics and some of the breeding associated with it. Um, whereas at Pioneer, we were fairly separate in our functions there during our career. Um, it's so, a big company. Yeah, it is. So, yeah. I focused on engineering and us more trade integration and other aspects of breeding. So, how long after you guys? How long
0: until you guys got together before you started the company? How long did that process take? And, and tell me a little sure. bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so we both left Pioneer about the same time. Oh, interesting. Uh, somewhat coincidentally, and connected shortly after that, since we've known each other for twenty years or so. Sure, and just started kind of brainstorming on. What are we going to do? You know, we were more thinking individually, and he uh, uh, was, Jason was potentially consulting. I had some ideas, and I thought maybe he could help me build uh, some growth chambers was initially one of the reasons I was talking okay. to him. All right. Uh, and I had the idea, some ideas around seed production. Ultimately, after we talked, we realized we both had some ideas around better ways to do seed production, corn seed production. in sure. particular. And just from there, that was... Kind of our ideal focal point was something around seed production. Yeah. Uh, and we just narrowed in on pollen as a potential All right. place All right. to look. Yeah. And
0: from what I understand, and it, some of this is from talking to you in the past, there's a lot of research that was completed that said, in essence, what you're proposing, what you do now, what you were proposing, I mean, what you do now, theoretically couldn't be done. Uh, can you tell me more about that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually correct. And uh, – uh, People ask us a lot of times, why haven't the larger seed companies done this? Why isn't it right. that you guys came up with this? It seems so obvious once you see the concept. Um, and the story behind that is uh, pollen preservation, which is one of the keys to our technology, is actually a very difficult process uh, to achieve. And so if you look at a lot of the scientific literature that's out there, people have done it on very small scale with a lot of times involving complex machinery, and it's Hmm. not amendable to production processes. So that was the real missing link. And once we really dialed in that technology, uh, a lot of the other things that we built uh, that uh, support the technology uh, were much lower in risk. Uh, But uh, people to this day that we work with um, still have to see it to believe it.
0: Yeah, and that, that's not a bad thing. So, it's obviously, what you did—I shouldn't say obviously—what you did was was non-obvious. Um, and it sounds like it's more as much process as it is technology. It's about how you get at something, which is kind it of an is. interesting thing. Yeah, very
1: I, true. I would just add that some there's there's ideas out there that once you look through several different researchers' results and put it all together. You start to get new ideas. And, and sometimes that hasn't been done. Yeah, And we hired a, a retired scientist who did that and did a great literature review and started hypothesizing what what we should do to enable preservation of pollen. And some of those ideas worked. And we so, ran
0: with it. Yeah. And so many startups are started on the idea that something couldn't be done. Um I I grew up in the computer industry in the 80s and 90s and went through the first round and second round of hard disk drives and the very first round of flash memory technology. And I remember when Eli Harari from SanDisk was in our building and his company had four people. And back then it was was known as Sundisk, by the way. Uh, Sun computing didn't care for that, so they had to change it. But, you know, they had figured out how to put one megabit of information on a chip. Now, the chip was an inch and a half square and it was priceless. And, you know, they're selling 4K of memory in a, yeah. in a Type 2 card, which is bigger than your business card in a stack about 12 high. And, you know, saying someday we'll get to a meg. Amazing. Someday we'll get to a meg. And I'm looking the other day and it's 256 gig on a micro card. And, yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, hard disk drives uh, were were written off in the 90s because mm-hmm. they couldn't grow anymore. And then IBM figured out how to go the third you, third dimension on drives and start storing in depth of metal not just on the surface through a molecular manipulation from what i understand and all of a sudden that blew up and what mm-hmm. couldn't be done was done and it is the the genesis of a lot of things so was this your first idea were there others that you looked at
2: you know it was uh, as todd explained earlier certainly uh, we had common interests in what could be done to improve seed production and i think um Once you start on a new endeavor, it's pretty natural to uh, have a lot of ideas about a lot of things. So uh, we consulted to help make ends meet, um, and you get engaged with some good companies that way. Um, We had some ideas around um, storage of seed and just other processes that uh, we explored going down the road with. But it always came back to this is just a really good opportunity that people are overlooking. So um, more and more. Uh, it became 100 percent of our focus. So, how long has
0: seed corn been hybridized? For how long has that been going on? So,
1: so the early 1900s, uh, research scientists at universities showed that you could do it and increase yield. Okay, but it didn't become commercialized till the 1920s. Henry Wallace, okay, our own Henry Wallace right yes. here in Iowa, yes, uh, is is when it really started. In okay, in the 20s and 30s it took off in 40s it was in full okay. full bore.
0: so pre-world war ii it was really rolling That's right. along Interesting. That's right. so yeah. did you start by doing research i mean what did you have a lab how did how does this work i because so i mean i know what the big company labs look like but i also know what startup labs look like so i'm right. really curious to hear about how you did your research so,
1: so i need to pull out these pictures i was looking for them the other day they're somewhere on my computer <laughs> but we have a picture in my garage just the two of us uh, sorting seed because our our we didn't have a lab our our lab was the field, and we started you know in the spring of fifteen two thousand fifteen, planted in probably mid to late May, and uh, it was all about the field that first year. Somewhere in the summer we started getting some lab equipment that Jason took the lead on getting. We uh-huh. rented a very small space in uh, uh, the east side of Des Moines, and. By the fall, I guess you could say we had a lab. Is that fair?
2: Yeah. Something? Uh, <laughs> something that resembled a lab. We uh, bought furniture from uh, some of the used uh, furniture stores. And uh, so we had yeah. countertops. And um, You
0: guys are known for that because I know in this facility you bought some stuff used. And, that's and right. if I remember right, you paid more to have it moved than you paid for the item itself. That's right. I love yeah. it. I love it. That's the startup mentality there.
1: But for us, we both have a field background, and the field is our lab. Yeah. The lab is there as a tool to help us right. show things in the field. Yeah. So it's it's great. I it's love that you, it.
0: you know started in a garage is kind of a meme in yeah. the world of startups. So I, I, That's right. T- <laughs> you've named your product Power Pollen. Um Tell me, what, what problems does this solve? I know you've mentioned in the past there's stuff on your website. I'd really like to go deep on this. What are the problems? Because – Hybridization has been around for yeah. 80 years in mass volume, and we're still solving problems. So what were the problems you, that you found out you can target?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll start with the one that we're, we're probably advertising the most right now, which is seed yield. Okay. Uh, the bottom line is about 30% of the potential pollinations don't occur hmm. because of the way it's currently done relying on the elements. There's a wide range around that. Sure. Of course, but the average is probably around 30%. We'll know more after this summer yeah. of research. Yeah, And so we're just, it's its simple. We're enabling that last 30% to occur and increase the yields right there. Um, the second big piece, though, is the cost of goods, um, meaning that the most expensive parts of making the seed are all the people we talked about earlier. Right. Uh, so the detasseling, crews, we we believe with our method we can decrease those. The isolations that that is needed to get the genetic purity, we believe you could decrease that. So what does that mean, isolations? That means um, you have to have, in any given cross, say you have 50 acres of one cross occurring, Mm -hmm. you have to have 660 feet of isolation all around it with no corn. Oh, my gosh. So that means soybeans. That's hard in Iowa. (laughs) That's hard in Iowa. Very hard. And sometimes you have to pay for that. Sure. Um, And so you can decrease that, and it's a, a big convenience thing and saves money. Okay. And the third big area is decreasing the amount of male that you put in the field uh, because it takes anywhere from 20 to 35% of the field, and it doesn't produce a product. It's just so the, produces the, pollen. So it's the males pollen. have
0: no value once they've done their job. They're cut them out. Cut them out and that's right. throw it away. Yeah, I've seen that where they just literally cut it to the ground and,
1: and it's gone. gone. Interesting. That's right.
0: So is that in addition
1: to the 30%? Uh, that's an addition. Yeah. That's right. Wow. So it's not just the 30% seed yield on the females, you can save on land in these other ways. So, and then on top of that, probably one of the, thing, the things we're most excited about is you can make crosses be- between two parents that weren't crossable before. In other words, they were so um far apart in genetic relationship that they flowered, say, three weeks apart. Oh, And so uh, seed companies won't even try that. Sure. So, if a breeder comes and says, I got the best hybrid ever, but it requires a three-week difference between male and female, sorry, product's not eligible. Right. And now those are eligible. So, those become
0: eligible. Yeah. Okay. So, that's a whole new value bucket. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I've heard of something called drift. Can you tell me what that is? And does that have anything to do with this? So, it does. And that's related to the isolation. Okay. Is that about. what that comes back so, to? So, uh,
1: drift could go in two different ways. The way we want to protect is... Pollen from other fields coming into a seed production field okay. where you're trying to control the co- cross, and you have random pollen blowing in from...
0: Because you're surrounded by crops.
1: And that's why you need the 660 feet of isolation. That makes sense. In some cases, if it's sensitive, you, people might go for a half mile or a mile, which is really hard to do here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that where they do things in Hawaii, where that, see there's fields in
2: Hawaii? And even and
1: there, you know, it can be difficult. Even there's, there's
2: small islands that they actually use uh, up around Michigan to really? use corn seed when oh, they're yeah. really trying to keep it away from other pollen sources.
0: So with, you know, we were talking about how it worked in the past with people detasseling and all this. So once you switch to the power pollen methodology, what changes? Can you talk me just a little bit through that?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. What we're telling our customers right now is plant things exactly how you would have done in the past. So okay. they still have the male rows in the field. Um, and what we're doing is coming in and, and taking advantage of first the ability to harvest the pollen as it's available on the male, storing that pollen and then going out and reapplying that pollen to the females when they're ready. And the difference are some of the things Todd talked about earlier where you take weather and the risk with weather out of that equation. You also take the risk of the two not being what they call in NIC, and that is the males shedding pollen when the female silks are emerged so that they're timed well. Um, And then third, we're going out and making very good thorough pollinations um, to the silks uh, so that we get a very full ear of kernels. And we're actually finding that making that good pollination all at one time results in much better ear fill. Okay, which um, so, is where the yield's coming from.
0: That's right. When you say ear fill, you mean how, how much, how full is the ear corn of kernels oh, that kernels. are usable as
2: seed? Yep. Okay. And if you look at ears, uh, a lot of people, um, say even on sweet corn, there tends to be large round kernels down at the butt of the mm-hmm. ear. Mm-hmm. and. Those kernels didn't have a lot of competition from, you know, the next pollination that came in a day later. Okay. They're a day behind competing with the seeds that are growing down lower. Oh, so you, you can imagine when you get to the top of an ear, um, it's very hard for those kernels to grow and mature uh, in competing with the rest of the pollinations that nature does little by little with yeah. wind blowing pollen. In.
0: Okay. All right. And so a lot of this is mechanized then, right? I mean, you're not taking yeah. people out there and doing this by hand. Can you How much of that? I don't know how much that you can talk about, but tell me a little bit about how that works. And is it a custom machine? Is
2: it something that's already out there? Yeah. So, um, you know, we didn't want to change... Uh, the way that farmers the, the equipment that they have access to because if you have to invent an entirely new machine people are less likely to utilize it's a the lot technology of money too it is and so we're using um Heggy style sprayers that a lot of seed companies and farmers already own and we've mounted uh mechanized systems that actually harvest the pollen in high throughput so we drive through the field and accumulate okay. that pollen um into um uh, a bin that will go into storage and then course take it back out of storage and we have pollen applicators that go down the row and target the silks uh, to apply the pollen to uh, this is on scale of acres that's tens to hundreds of acres currently okay so manually uh, doing this process would still be beneficial but not as cost effective right
0: right and the goal is to be fully automated with this is to be that's all recognized. Right. all right that's all right. right all right um so th- the kind of research you're doing and i mean you're in your third year of being out in the field uh, this is not an expensive, um, I, and I know you have raised some capital in the past. But can you talk just a little bit? And no need to get into the specifics, but how many rounds of capital in general, and and what kind of amounts are we talking about that you've had to do? and sure. How's that gone?
1: Yeah, we, uh, you know, we haven't done this before, so we don't know, you know, how it's supposed to go. But we feel like it went very well. <laughs>
0: it went very well. As someone who does this all the time, it went really yeah, well. Yeah, it's, that's what
1: we've been told. Um, we've had three rounds. We had a, a seed round, which was debt and which converted in a series A. Okay. And, and then it, we just did finished up a series B. Okay. Um, initial, and I should say initially, our consulting, uh, funded the first year. So really the first year was kind of bootstrapped and right. did it on our own. Uh, and the, the seed round, got us through the next six to 12 months and then series a got us up until about where we are right now okay and so series b just completed should get us through probably another one and a half to two years right when we think we should be uh cash flow positive especially on the corn seed side sometime yeah. in 2019 okay um and in general you know we're, we're talking you know approaching 10 million about that We've raised total okay. in that general range.
0: Yeah, which is a pretty large sum of money to raise. It is. And, uh, now,
1: I'm very familiar with the biotech industry where um, it can be much higher.
0: Yeah, that sounds and, small in biotech. And
1: it can be a much longer time frame. We're, we're at three, three and a half years for, to revenue here where some biotech firms just plan on 10 to 15. So, you know, we feel pretty good about where we're at but it is a, a pretty large number for the average startup
0: yeah it, it is especially like you said it, the biotech industry is very very different but also the people that are s- funding it are are different kinds of funders um and so your technology is now in the field and in large scale pilots especially this year you're going in um what's the data say about the value of what you've done about power and how's this
2: sp- how, how's it been performing you know one of the things that I think surprised us the most to begin with, and our Chief Science Officer Mark Westgate had alluded that we would actually see this, is the yield increase. Um, a lot of uh, the years look full with the natural pollination process because mm-hmm. the kernels grow into the space they have available. Um, but we've just seen some very impressive yield increases with uh, the seed production fields that we've uh, performed the power pollen process on. So that was really one of our first um, ahas we've also reduced contamination so the contamination that could come in from another field mm-hmm. since we're pollinating the silks thoroughly right. and all at once they're uh, less at risk to foreign pollen coming okay. in
0: okay so uh, can you tell a little more talk a little more about that so once they've been fully pollinated or, or kind of saturated that does that kind of provide a natural block to any pollen coming in later is that how
2: that works it does so okay. yep the, the pollen actually grows a tube all the way down to where the embryo is at and delivers its sperm Holy. nuclei. Okay, And then the female is completely shut off once those, um, much okay. like with human reproduction. Just like with human reproduction. Okay, that makes sense.
0: All right. Um, and, and these trials you've done are with seed corn companies. I mean, you've been out with, this isn't just your own product. You're out right. there with other people's products. Particularly this production. last,
1: in 2017, yeah. the first two seasons were our own internal sure. trials. But we were in real fields last summer. Okay, so that's you've
0: right. got seed corn companies that now perhaps believe you? We do. Okay, yes, that's we good. Do. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that's one of the hardest things is to get them to, yeah, I see all the everything, but I still don't believe you. Because when yeah. something this interesting and this dramatic, right. I mean, they would have given a lot for a 5% increase, given what I know about the economics of seed corn. Right. That's yeah. 5% is a big number. So anything right. that you're talking about, it gets very, fact, very large.
1: The, the four we were in four real seed production fields last summer. The average seed yield increase was 80 percent now that sounds crazy but we were in fields that were on average had some problems so we knew we didn't go to their best fields of course
0: but the best fields aren't the problem the problem is the worst fields. so when
1: you have problems you can really yeah wow them yeah but yeah
0: well anybody's been in business knows that consistency is worth more than a peak load or peak element i mean just because you had the best once you can't bank on that. You, but you can That's bank right. on consistency.
1: That's a, a great point, Mike. Um, one of the value points we didn't talk about here is that the seed companies on average, because there's so much variability, plan for about 30% extra seed production on every product. More than they know they need, right?
0: These 30% are starting to add up in right. my mind. So <laughs> if, 30 and 30 and 30. It's so even if we way.
1: didn't increase yield, we only brought the variability down so you get more consistent right. range. Right. We believe you could... They could probably uh, do a risk management of about ten percent overage. That would save land right there, right? Yeah, and
0: that's a yeah. huge that's number, just, but, soft and hard dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and just the idea that you're not as subject. We're always subject to weather in some way or another. Absolutely. But just, I'm thinking about how much more variability we have in our weather. This we're seeing in a in a, a May that's been hotter than any I remember. So. Um, so your website states a potential for an additional revenue of $1.3 billion for seed corn production. Um, I mean, if you even get to half of that, how does that change the market? What does that yeah. do to the market?
1: So, you know, in the current market, we think it changes it by allowing sea companies to have higher margins. Right now in the ag economy, they can't increase their price. But they can, with this technology, decrease their cost of goods, their, their manufacturing costs. So... Um, it gives the seed companies another place to look that they didn't have before to maintain the R&D they have or increase the amount of R&D, mm-hmm, not cut other mm-hmm. places, to save money right here. In yeah, because there's no
0: margin left on the farmer; they don't have any margin Exactly.
1: Left. Now, how it changes when and if commodity prices go up, that gives the seed companies some room to maybe charge more for the seed, uh, these kind of things. But... Um really it's about improving the cost of goods. Now ultimately it also changes it, as we talked earlier, about making some hybrids available that weren't available before because you couldn't make the crops.
0: Well I was gonna go there, yeah. So
1: so some new products potentially more uh diverse products for the farmer to grow. So some yield levels maybe that they couldn't realize before because there are certain hybrids that weren't available.
0: And I keep thinking about the, the changes that we're seeing in land. I mean, they talk about the, dry, the area of the dry west and moving towards the Midwest, and literally land is changing and what it can and cannot do. So having the ability to hybridize for those changing conditions, and it's been that, changing for a long, long time, it yeah. seems like that would make a lot of sense. Absolutely. So where else can the new technology apply? I mean, you've told me about the um, potential in the area of of like wheat can you explain what that looks like on a global scale i mean where does that go
2: sure our patents if you look at our patents claim multiple crops Uh, we started with corn because todd and i both know corn best it's what we've worked with throughout our career sure um but that's really honing the technology for things like wheat and rice which are also um hugely important crops uh that uh Um, overseas you look internationally uh, how important it is to those because it's much more important internationally than corn is that's right so um so there's that aspect where you're talking about the grass type crops or row crops the technology can lend itself even out towards vegetable crops uh, fruit trees um different basically where you're relying on pollen to make a pollination um, this could help alleviate some of the issues with uh, bees, the Just population. Ask, yeah, because we've had the collapse
0: of bee population, so this could actually augment some of that. That's right. Interesting.
2: Yep. And so we're. It, it takes a lot of diligence, I think, to remain focused. So right now, our our focus is really getting seed production off the ground and running, and seed companies to fully utilize the technology. Right. Um, but in the future, we see great opportunities with rice, wheat, and some of the other major staples.
0: Yeah. I'm smiling because this is the innovator's problem is there's, when you get something interesting like this, there's so many directions you can go. And it's, it's so tempting when you're grinding through just process, process, process to go. I really want to go back in the lab and go work on that next cool thing, right? I want to do the next new product. So,
2: and the seed companies you work with have a tendency to say, Hey, can you do this for, you know, wheat? Can you do this for rice? How can we work together? And, um th- those are all opportunities, yeah. but uh, there's also an opportunity cost associated with it. Well, that, to your
0: point, if you haven't proven out the core of your, if you right, haven't refined, right. I shouldn't say proven out, but refined the core processes, you don't want to start building other analogs on top of a process that isn't fully set. Yep. You're gonna, the cost of redoing all that's going to get pretty crazy pretty quick. I agree.
1: In fact, I'll, I'll add, Mike, one of the first times we met with you, you actually said to us, some people will want to ask you questions about where else you could go with this, just right. to see if you're easily
0: distractible. It is a favorite thing for me to point out.
1: And yeah. uh, I think you might have actually asked us about other things, and we probably failed the test. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, it,
0: it, re- it was a plight from the audience. <laughs> in fact,
1: it was a great uh, – I remember that. Yeah. when I'm with investors, and they start going there. Some may innocently be going there. Some may be testing us. I don't That's know. Right. But we, uh, we always come back to – right now, it's about corn seed. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of other opportunities. Uh, And one of them that we kind of jump right over quickly is what we we would call corn grain, where the farmer themselves could Mm. get a yield kick by getting better pollination. Really? Potentially, like a 5 to 15% increase in their yields by getting better pollination. But that's
0: big for them. 5 to 15 is a lot. Right.
1: And if there's a drought and we can help mitigate the issues there, it could be much higher. Sure. So there's uh, – and and the acreage there is much higher, of course. Right. You're right. talking about 90 million acres of grain corn farmers versus the seed is about a million acres in the U.S. In
0: the U.S. So yeah, quite sure.
1: a big difference. Yeah.
0: So your product consists of several elements, hardware for collection and application, hardware, harvest and storage processes and technology, application process and technology, uh, so, which part of this of the of these pieces and parts will your company produce directly, and which ones do you see more going with partners to get into the market?
2: Yeah, that's a excellent question. Uh, one of the things we tell our prospective investors is that we're an IP company. We we really survive based on licensing our intellectual property. Okay. So we aggressively pursue patents. Uh, currently, we have nine pending uh, patents that are um, either in a non-provisional or provisional state. Um, that being said, we have prototyped a lot of this mechanization and then worked with an outside manufacturer that plans to produce these at scale for us. Okay. So, Almako is our uh, partner in that area. Almako is one of the leading uh, suppliers of customized research equipment for oh, seed okay. companies. Okay. Um, so, familiar of, to your customer. That's right. Very familiar. Yeah. Um, they have a good reputation. So, uh, we've been working on testing the scale technology uh, with Almako. Um, our philosophy is we're never going to build these widgets. We're going to find the person that makes the most sense to build them and, and enable them to be the best at what they do.
0: And that is a wise move because there's there are some world-class manufacturers, I mean, certainly in the ag space, sitting right here within, what, an hour's drive? Uh, That's right. There's some of the best in the world are sitting right here. Why would you try to go co- compete against that?
1: In fact, we... Would want to partner really for all aspects of this new industry, except inventing or developing IP. Even there, we'll, we're willing to for certain areas. Sure, but for the preservation of pollen, that's what we're trying to be. Yeah, right that's out there that's your fo- core. That's our core. Yeah, and uh, capturing intellectual property around that and know-how. That's what we're. And that's I'm our su-
0: deal. And I'm sure there's more to do there. Lots, lots yeah. more. That's good. Every
1: day. We're reminded that there's a lot. <laughs>
0: so, uh, where do you see your company in five years? So,
1: I think idea. I'll give you the ideal answer, mm-hmm. but there's several forms of success that we're open to. Sure. Right? Yep. But I think um, if within a year or two we can have this seed, the corn seed part of this in great shape for potential non exclusive or exclusive buyout. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully use that, um, uh, exit, partial exit to fund acceleration of the grain, corn grain part of this. Yep. Wheat seed, rice seed. Those would be the three next corn yeah. grain, wheat seed, and rice seed. Yeah. Where we now have a cash flow. Sure. And a way to fund that and just, and keep going in these c- other crops. Yeah. And Jason mentioned a bunch of other crops as well, whether it's orchard crops or Canola, sunflower, those are some other sure. cotton, yeah. other uh, low-hanging fruit that's out there. Um, you know, I'd love to keep doing this for another ten years, ten cool. to fifteen years. But at the same time, if someone was interested in everything, we're
0: open. Well, that's right. part of having investors, right? right. And, and having a good board is to get through those decisions because there's there's always offers. Whether or not they're an offer worth taking is a whole another a whole other discussion point, right? Well, Todd and Jason, thank you for being on Startup Stories. I really enjoyed talking to you today.
2: It's been a pleasure.
0: Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Startup Stories DSM Podcast. Inspired by this startup story, visit dsmpartnership.com slash business resources to find upcoming events, videos, and other free resources dedicated to helping startups and entrepreneurs accelerate success in DSM USA. That's dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. Thanks for listening.